Hi, my name's Lizanne Falsetto, and I beat the often path by entering into the food world to disrupt and to bring portability of food that is better for your health and better for the planet. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unusual success stories and people who've had careers outside the box to remind us all that there is much more possible in this life than we've been led to believe. Well, boy, do we have a great episode for you today. Because joining me today is Lizanne Falsetto. And long before she became an entrepreneur, Lizanne had a career as a model. She developed a food for herself on the job and quickly discovered that her peers were interested in what she was making. She went on to create Think Thin, the gluten-free protein bars that you've seen on the shelves of pretty much every grocery store since the 90s. Now, she sold that company a few years ago, and now she's building Betterland Foods and Woo Bars, two game-changing products that are animal-free. She's basically transforming the dairy industry with her revolutionary new company. It acts like milk, it behaves like milk, it's achieved with fermentation, but it's not milk, and it's filling a gap that we didn't know that we had. It's super interesting for me personally. Today we're going to learn how her career took a series of unexpected twists and turns, and it's going to give us all inspiration on what's possible. Now, she's been decorated with an impressive array of awards and accolades. She's well known for her philanthropy, so I'm just deeply honored to hear the story of entrepreneurial pioneer Lizanne Falsetto. Well, I'm very excited to have you here, Lizanne. It's an absolute honor to have you joining the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So when I look at your website, your personal one and your company website, first of all, I'm just blown away by the stuff that you have done because your personal website summarizes almost everything that I value. You show organic farming. You have a commitment to creating food and better food products in a better, more natural way. You also educate people and you have built a nice career for yourself along the lines that I deeply value. So I'm very, very excited to hear your story today. No, thanks, Ross. You know, it, it's funny because you never really know what your journey is, right, until you're in it. And uh, I think my journey started probably with a rooted Italian family that loved to cook, loved food, and loved family. And uh, I think that's why I'm in the food world today. Oh, interesting. What part of Italy is your family from? Uh, Campobasso. So my so family... And the boot, okay, my grandma was from a region called Ischia. I've never been there, but I also have an Italian grandma and great-grandma, so that tradition was passed on to me as well, and food is extremely important to me as well, maybe it because is. of that. It's, yeah, it's passion, it's fun, it's health, right? It's 80% of your whole health uh, regime, and um, I think breaking bread every Sunday as a child with... 20 Italians probably kept me in that mood, drinking wine that my grandfather made that tasted like vinegar at seven years old, going, yeah. ooh, this is not good. So, uh, yeah, I really I really love being in the food world. So you probably had a deep-seated memory and feeling of food being related to love and comfort and an expression of things that we value. I assume that maybe stuck with you. I think so. I think it's in the roots yeah. of who I am. Even uh, even 30 years plus, I still enjoy going to the grocery store and reading labels and understanding what the new technology is bringing to the forefront. 
I think what we have up against us now, though, is, of course, the environmental crisis and, uh, you know, awareness around, uh, you know, we uh, we treat diabetes, but we have, uh, you know, sugar in our products. And yeah. so it's kind of a, a, a twist on what do you put first, right? And I think food needs to have a a a revamp in many many ways to help people live a longer life absolutely and one of the things that we talk about on the show is win-win-wins or killing multiple birds with one stone and food is one of those areas where it can be not only better for you personally but it can be better for the planet and it can help us solve some of these big things at the same time as helping ourselves and helping us feel better so how did you settle on this is something that I want to do or build a company out of because this was not where you always were in your career? No, it's pretty funny, right? I mean, you know, I, I didn't like school a lot. I didn't, I went to a great school, Catholic uh, school, private school, and uh, I love sport, but school to me was boring. And I think I was more of a visual type of, of learner. And I had the opportunity out of high school to either go play basketball in college or travel and enter into the modeling world. And for me, I think, you know, you can be book smart and you can be travel smart, right? There's two different ways of kind of thinking about the way you learn. And, and uh, I chose the fashion world and I learned a lot about cultures, food, uh, medicinal herbs, spent a lot of time in Japan and a lot of time in China and Hong Kong. And and then I spent a lot of time in Europe. And so as I kind of weaved my way through that career for 15 years, I I think the source of my excitement was always about the culture and the food. How do people eat? What do they grow? Um, what do they do for homeopathic, functional, or white coat medicine, pharmaceutical? And um, I just always had my eye on, you know, feeling good about what I ate and put in my body. And uh, when I came back to the States, I was 28, and uh, I thought I'd be a chef. And that's kind of how I started my first business was in the kitchen. So did you want to be a chef at a restaurant first, or did you want to be more of a creator of foods at that point? You know, it's interesting because I didn't know. I mean, I I, I, uh, I didn't know. I just knew that I love to work with food. I love to entertain. I love to cook. I love planning meals. And my grandmother was an extraordinarily good cook. She didn't just bake well. She cooked well. And that's very rare because... You know, baking is very accurate and to the point. Uh, cooking is kind of a little this, a little that. And I was definitely more of a cook, but I love two things my grandmother made. She made a brownie that would you would die for. And mm. she had a chocolate chip cookie and a and she also had a peanut butter cookie, but the chocolate chip cookie and the brownie were the two products that I thought I was going to tear them apart in my kitchen and I was going to try to pull out the sugar and add protein to them. And so I started the process and it took about six months. And during that time, I was still modeling uh, to support myself. 
And I started making these bars that were on a slab sheet like cookies. And I would take them to the modeling gigs. And next thing I knew, everybody was asking every day, hey, Lizanne, do you have one of those? Do you have one of those? And I'm thinking, okay, wait, is this a business? Mm. And that's how I fell into nutrition bars. That was back when Power Bar, Cliff Bar, and Balance Bar were the only bars on the market. 1993, long time ago. Hard to believe how far we've come in such a relatively short time. Yeah, it's true. At that point, were you dairy-free in the products that you were making? Were you personally exploring a vegetarian or a vegan lifestyle, or had that not entered no. the conversation? No, no, I've never been vegan, never been dairy-free. I, You know, I listened to my body, and I learned that in the fashion world, because you would travel for a month somewhere and come back, and you'd have jet lag. And food was the equalizer. It was the one thing that kept me balanced. It kept me awake. It kept my skin looking good. And as a fashion model, you have to, you know, your personality and your mood has a lot to do with your physical because the combination of the two is, is what the work is that you're performing. And so I was always very aware that if I ate too much dairy or lactose, it upset me. Or if I ate gluten, Gluten was the biggest thing for me. I never felt good on gluten. And, you know, gluten's glue, right? Uh, Think Thin was probably one of the first products that had gluten-free on it when I launched it. But um, I eat everything, and I am very careful about the types of food I combined. And, and if I feel like eating it, I eat it. And if I don't, I don't. But I listen to my body. Mm. Very good. Yeah, that makes sense because obviously you've settled on a new product, which uh, one year in the making, Betterland Foods, which is a dairy alternative, which is super, super exciting to somebody like me who uh, my wife and I don't really drink milk or eat much dairy. Uh, but we have a daughter, we're raising a girl, and it's a bit different when you have a kid. You think, what kind of nutrition does she need? And I don't want to shortchange her by not giving her the nutrients she needs. So we struggle with the question of what kind of milk should you give while still being ethical in this world, while still having a set of values, such as wanting to be more plastic-free, wanting to avoid the dairy industry as it is. Uh, so how did you settle on this as a concept then? Well, I had I had 30 years with Think Then, and I built that business and sold it. And then I kept my eye on the protein world. I really love the commodity world and watching what's happening with the environment. We know that the farmlands are getting, you know, polluted because they have to produce more because we have more mouths to feed, but then we're hurting the environment. And so the weather causes issues on the food. Uh, the protein market is dwindling down to the point where there will not be enough whey protein for people to consume. And protein is the number one ingredient that, for me, I love to eat 100 grams or more a day. And through COVID, I started doing some research about different types of proteins. And, you know, it's very interesting when you think about companies in the tech world that are able to clone an actual protein and produce it without the animal. And, you know, I do eat meat, 
And I do like milk without lactose. I like the flavor of it. I like cooking with it. And uh, I started checking out Perfect Day. And Perfect Day is a alternative whey protein that is made through a fermentation process. And they're able to create a whey protein that tastes even better than whey from an animal, from a cow. And uh, I reached out and started playing a bit with their protein in the in the kitchen, and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how how delicious it was, how it frothed, how you could bake with it. And then I started playing a little bit with it in my blender because I like smoothies. And that's when it kind of hit me that this could be something that could go into the dairy world, that this could replace milk. And as you know, we have almond, we have oat, we have all these options, but nothing tastes and acts and performs like milk. That's true. Milk is delicious. And, you know, most people have many different milks. I bet your refrigerator has an almond and an oat and, you know, maybe it for does. your daughter, you have milk. That's correct. Yeah. All of yeah. the above. Well, so, so the great thing about Betterland milk is we are better milk, better for you and better for the planet. And, you know, it has the eight grams of protein. It has zero cholesterol. It has half the sugar and 50% less carbs, but it tastes and performs like milk. So I think that the alternative space today of almond, oat, gosh, now there's cauliflower, potato, hemp, soy, all of those products are the bridge to where we're going with our product in the food tech world of protein. Yeah, I think that that's, tr that's true. And in certain circumstances, you notice it more. For example, in coffee, the way oat milk or almond milk, the way that they don't really interact with coffee the same way that milk right. does. Right, it goes flat. Yeah, right? and you it make a cappuccino, flat. but it's not the same. And you can no. do that. So generally, I find that I prefer black coffee to those types of things, even though I love oat milk mm -hmm. and almond milk and other things, like protein uh, smoothies and that kind of thing. I enjoy it. But specifically in certain contexts, or like you said, with baking it does tend to fall short. It doesn't do what you need it to do. And that's a big part of being able to replace it. I and totally agree. Also, yeah. when you're staring down the barrel of the prospect of what do I feed my kid whose brain is growing? And that's something that my wife and I wrestled with a lot because we were completely hardcore vegan for a couple years and then we dialed it back. We were struggling a bit to get what we needed just on that diet. So we started doing a vegetarian now we still don't eat meat of any kind, no cow or, or beef or any of that, but we do sometimes eat cheese on pizza, we do sometimes eat dairy, sometimes we eat eggs, sometimes we eat fish. I'll just be very honest about all of that, but when you're thinking about what do I give my kid, it's a very different discussion because in theory you'd say, I'd love to raise her without ever eating an animal product. But there are certain realities you think, I really don't want her to grow up to be somehow mentally deficient or physically deficient or miss certain key things. So we wrestle with this a lot. And in the end, we kind of landed on a hybrid uh, solution where we give her regular milk, but we don't give her meat or other animal products and she seems to be doing fine. But it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of a big deal. Um, and so your product, especially for me and for us personally, is very interesting. When I came across it for the first time, I thought, wow, 
this is really something that has the potential to be a game changer for a lot of people like me. Yeah, you know, I think it's the impossible burger of dairy. Yeah. Um, if you look at what, you know, impossible burger did with meat, um, there are, the population is growing and we don't have enough food. You have to build, you know, space for people to live. So the farmlands gets broken down. You've got issues with agriculture and, you know, weather and every day you turn on the news and there's something there that's causing a disruption in in the soil. And so where are you going to get your food source? And also, I don't think that we treat our animals well because of the stress that we put them under to be able to produce. You know, there's there's just so many reasons why we need to step outside our box and start to think about the future of the planet and our food source. And that's what we're doing at Better Land Foods. We're really trying to understand how to deliver the best tasting, the best performing product that's great for your health. It's it's enjoyable to consume. And we're thinking about the planet in relationship to uh, you know what's happening in the world today. I, th I think it's a fabulous initiative. And I also think it's fascinating that you've chosen this without necessarily being a hardcore a vegan or something like that yourself, that you recognize that there was a need for this outside of, I don't want to say outside of your own beliefs, but that you saw something that was worth pursuing in spite of that. I think that's really great and really noble. And I wish that there were more people who on both sides, let's say, reached across the aisle to each other and to help bridge the gap that we have. Because so much of modern media shows that, like take Blade Runner 2049, these futuristic dystopian movies, they always show that, oh, the worst part about a dystopian future aside from cities crumbling and there being eternal winter and everything is gray, but there's also no more meat. There's also no more animal products. And it's presented as this horrific, nightmarish scenario but I've never felt that that had to be the case. It can be really positive. If, if something is good and you enjoy it and it gives your body what it needs and it tastes great and does what you expect it to do, then it's not a lack. It's not, I'm missing this other thing or life would be so much better if I had this other thing. It's just a better version of something that you like. So I'm very personally passionate about anything like that that gives us what we need, but that pays more attention to the environment and the context in which the product exists. I think yeah. it's great. Yeah, it's, it's you know, if you, if, if you think about, especially for you raising a daughter and knowing that, you know, you're creating a human being that you want to have the best and you want to make sure she's got the proteins in her system, you want to make sure the ingredients are as clean as possible. Our our products are all plant-based. Um, and you don't compromise the taste. So they're not being raised on something that doesn't taste good, right? Because food is enjoyable. Food is fun. And there's no reason why it shouldn't be um, enjoyed all the way through. So um, I totally agree with you. I think that there's a food revolution happening and Betterland Foods really wants to take that on. We've got two products. We've got the Betterland Milk, which will be launching in October. And um, we also have a, a candy product called wooBar.com, which is 
uh, we're going after the old Snickers, Milky Way, Reese's, and we're using all plant-based proteins. And if you think about what Think Thin was in the protein world, um, this is the candy protein world of what we're doing with Wu. Which also ready for disruption, if you ask me. A hundred percent. They haven't changed their profile for over 65 years. The candy that you're eating is poison. Yeah. That's why it tastes so good, right? That's why you gain weight. That's why there's diabetes and obesity and um, and you know, shame on them, right? You look at Mars and General Mills and uh, Nestle and Hershey's, and they have the opportunity to be able to create food that's better for you, but they haven't done it in over 65 years. And so I think you have to have entrepreneurs that want to disrupt the world like we do at Betterland Foods, and and that's what we do. Yep. And I, I check in from time to time, and I feel like if they've changed it all, it's only for the worse, right? Somebody somewhere said we can shave off a fraction of a cent with this cheaper ingredient, and that will help our profit margin rise by a fraction of a cent multiplied times millions of bars. And so it's just this race to the bottom in terms of what is the cheapest, most manufactured and processed thing we can make. Mm-hmm. And it's still right in front of your face at every grocery store. You still check out and it's all right there. And that's yeah. for kids and obviously kids as well. It's harder for them to be discerning consumers. They just see shiny co- colors and they're like, that's what I want. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's it, you're very, very smart with how you have approached this. And it used to be, again, going back to the 90s when you said there weren't that many options, it used to be that these health foods or meat alternatives or tofu, it was people would make fun of them and it was very, very easy to make fun of them. And when I was a meat eater, I was part of that camp. I also made fun of people who are vegetarian. I'm not too proud to admit. I also didn't recognize the sacrifice or the value that other people who are committed to the environment were making. It was just very easy to say, here's a, a chicken something or other, and here's a tofu something or other, and this one tastes good and this one tastes bad. Therefore, you have to be an idiot if you want to eat tofu instead of chicken. That was what I thought. And I know millions of maybe billions of people feel that way. But nowadays with an impossible burger, you have people who have never had such a food before. And they have this image of what a veggie burger or a garden burger is a holdover from the last few decades. And if you give them an impossible burger for the very first time, they eat it and they say, oh my God, it actually tastes good. You'll get a begrudging acceptance. You'll get a begrudging agreement that yes, it is at least passable. They may, they'll never say that they love it more than than the meat, but it's at least getting better. And I think the more that we show via these techniques and technologies that we can get there, the more people are going to not have an issue with the choice in the next 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. I think the food world, hopefully, will follow suit. And also, I think consumers need to realize that there's no other option. You're not going to have enough ingredients such as a protein in the world to feed all the mouths. And I think about all the hungry people that live around the world, women that can't even feed their baby because they're malnutrition. So they can't even produce their own milk to be able to do it. Yep. We've got to change the way we think. And, um, and we have to look towards the future of the abundance of being able to bring in products that are better for your health and 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 in abundant supply. I mean, it's kind of what Tesla did, right? Get right. rid of gasoline. 
and moved to electric. Um, it's what Impossible Burger did with beef. And that's what Better Land Foods is doing with milk is we are going to give an option to people to have a whole milk, a low-fat milk, and then we're doing a half and half, which is called creamy, which is just delicious to bake with. You can whip with it. You can put it in your frother for your coffee at home, and it'll stay frothed all the way to the bottom of the cup. So you won't have that, like you had said, you know, the loss of the flat flavor. And, you know, think about oat milk. Oat milk is green. Mm. When you pour oat milk out, look at it. It's green. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and it's not good for the environment, and it's still using planet and animals. And then you look at almonds, and almonds, it's one gallon of water to one almond. Terrible. That's what it takes to grow an almond. So think about our water supply that we're under. I mean, it's time to start thinking ahead and being aware that we're going to run out and it's not going to be good. And so even if if we know we're going to run out, the beautiful part about what we're doing at Betterland Milk and what some of these incredible tech companies are doing with proteins and fats and supplements, you know, they're they're making all kinds of ingredients so that in the next 50, 75 years, we're not running out of ingredients to make products. Exactly. You'll only have 50% of them on your shelf at your grocery store. Exactly. Yep. And the other really intriguing thing about how you have chosen to solve this problem or perfect day is that fermentation plays a key role in it. I find that to be fascinating. We seem to be learning a lot more about fermentation in general and its health benefits. And I don't know yeah, if you're familiar. Kombucha. Well, yeah, exactly. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Michael Pollan. Do you know who he is? He yes, has a of documentary. Course. I, yeah. um, and he has a book slash documentary called Cooked, which came out a little while ago, his previous round. And he talks a bit about how fermentation in bread, how we've shortcutted this, and therefore that might be the reason for a lot of people, and perhaps even your gluten intolerance, is that it's actually perhaps not the gluten itself, but the way in which the gluten is made. And he talks about the difference between bread coming from three ingredients, water and flour and salt, versus coming from anything that has yeast added to it, which basically bypasses the natural fermentation process of the bread. And obviously I have no studies to confirm that, but it's something that really stuck with me as perhaps it's the way in which we achieve these things that matters. And it's easy to, I think, make a product that texturally feels like something that feels like milk or, or meat, but it's harder to make that feel like something that you, that you're replacing, but also have it still be actually good for you and not just worse, right? <laughs> because I'm sure right. there's a way to make the texture of milk that would be very bad for you. But how did you discover this fermentation process in relationship to this other style of milk? Well, so, you know, the protein is made through the fermentation process. So, you know, cheese comes from fermentation. I mean, this is nothing new. This is thousands and thousands of years old, this technique. And, you know, people say, oh, well, you're 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 making it in a lab or it's coming. It it's it's ridiculous because fermentation has been around for thousands of years. It's it's again in your cheese, it's kombucha, it's beer. The beer you drink is made through fermentation. And 
what Perfect Day did is they figured out how to take that process and how to clone a whey protein and make a identical fermentation from it. And that's why it's called precision fermentation is because it's precise to the exact uh, activity that that actual protein can do. And it is as good as protein for your body. It tastes better than a whey protein. It just is lighter and fluffier. And, and so when you when you look at a perfect day protein and then you look at, say, protein powder and you look at a whey protein powder from a cow, you can tell the difference by the light, um, frothy feel to the protein itself. And um, the flavor is just delicious. And so, you know, with the ingredients that we added to our milk, including the protein, we added coconut water. We added other ingredients that sunflower um, oil. We were able to clone milk to the point where you don't have to go to almond or oat because they don't perform as well. And um, you get the vitamins, you get the taste, you get the absorption, and you don't have to sacrifice. It's just a win-win for everybody. Sounds remarkable. And obviously this is a relatively new endeavor. So this is, I saw 2021, you began this. Now, we've talked a little bit about things. So let's go back to those early days when you were doing modeling and you were bringing this product with you and you said, hey, maybe there's a business here. And how did you begin that first journey into business at that time? What were the steps that you took to bring that new product to market, the Think Thin Bar or whatever you did first? Well, I, um, I, I gave it to many people in the fashion industry and realized that I was doing my own test study, which I didn't even know what that was, right? Coming out of modeling, I never had to pay to do some sort of quantified test study. But um, I utilized the fashion industry who are conscious of what they put in their body because they have to look good. They have to be a certain weight. They want to have energy. They don't want jet lag. And I realized after they started asking for more and more and more, and I'd come home and bake until two in the morning, that this was a this was something that was real. And, you know, what I find really interesting about entrepreneurship is I, I think I was born an entrepreneur. Um, and I know people use that title kind of, you know, as a, hey, I'm on, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm going to build a business and sell it in three years. Well, that's that's not what an entrepreneur does. What an entrepreneur does is they focus on something that they're passionate about and they drive it all the way. You know, you don't do it for the money. You do it because you love to wake up and and to build something that can make a difference in the world. And when I decided that I was going to try to get into this, not knowing anything, right? I, I had never sold you know anything in the food world, and the food world is like dealing with the mafia. It's not easy. <laughs> it's uh, it's that is a, the stereotype. It's a, tough, it's, it's a retail you know monopoly. That's for sure. And um, what what I enjoyed is that through the journey of going to market, I went from my small kitchen to a middle-sized baking kitchen. That was the first step. 
then from there, I went from the baking kitchen to large vat manufacturing. And that took a while. That took a good year to figure out how to find the ingredients that I wanted, make sure that the product had 20 grams of protein. My first product was 20 grams of protein, zero grams of sugar, and gluten-free. And that was in 1993. And if you look at where we're at today, gluten is 27% of category growth. And I attribute that to Think Thin. Uh, it was the first product that had gluten-free on it. Um, sugar, I always save my sugar for my drinks. If I'm going to have a glass of wine and I know that I hold all the sugar out of my body, I'm going to have that glass of wine with dinner. I enjoy it. I was raised on wine, mm -hmm. not the stuff my grandpa makes, but <laughs> the good stuff. <laughs> and um, and I also, you know, wanted my protein. Protein satiated me. It gave me energy. It built muscle. I felt better. I, you know, I had energy. And so I went to market and it was, it was a long haul. I, it took me 20 years. When I first Whoa. launched, people didn't even know what protein was. They, they'd say, well, how much protein do I need? One gram, two gram? People didn't even know that protein was a necessity. And this is in the early 1990s. I do believe that, yeah. Yeah. So it took a lot of education. And through that process, I think I, I, I learned as I made mistakes, which we do as entrepreneurs, and I surrounded myself with very smart people. And if I didn't know how to do something, I'd bring it bring in a consultant like a logistics for example like i didn't understand trucking and logistics in the food world you know do you have to have a reefer truck cold truck not you know you're going through nevada where it's 110 will the bars melt i didn't know how to manage that and so i brought in somebody for a week and i learned it i went to harvard so you know did i go to college i probably went to college at, every year for at least a month because I put myself in a situation where I learned to help build my business on the right path. Mm. That's very profound. Did you, well, you had this kind of push pull, which is interesting because you showed your product to some people in your profession. They obviously gave you positive feedback and you thought this is a business. But on the other hand, you're also developing a new category in which there is no demand because there's no understanding of what the category even is. So how did that balance drive the business in those early years when it wasn't quite sure what you were on to? Well, you know, it's interesting because you're right. They put us in candy and, you know, go figure. Now I'm going into candy to dis disrupt candy, you know, 35 years later. It's crazy. But um, nutrition bars were, you know, when I would speak to women, they go, oh, I just ate a power bar. And I'd say, oh, did you run 20 miles or bike 20 <laughs> miles? They'd say, no, I went and picked my daughter up at school and brought her home. And I don't know why I'm gaining weight. And I'm like, oh my God, people don't realize that calorie in, calorie out, you have to burn. How much do you burn? Power bar was made for triathletes. That's what the husband and wife team that created that product were triathletes. Balance Bar was made for the 40, 30, 30. And Cliff Bar was made for people that climb, climb mountains and need to have something in their, in their pocket that they could eat that was easy to absorb. Think was a whole different profile. It was, it was meant to deliver on the premise of high protein, sugar-free and gluten-free. And 
you know, when I first went into retail, I presented to Ia Ruth. She was my first buyer at Whole Foods and she was brilliant. Actually, two women gave me my first deal. Ia Ruth was one and then Trader Joe's and Nat Davidson was the other. But Ia said to me, this is really interesting because people don't know about protein and, you know, all the other three bars are more about sport related or to lose weight, right? 40, 30, 30 was kind of that diet that balanced diet type of thing. That was before low carb and everything came out. And they had put us into the candy section because they didn't realize how big this nutrition bar category would be. And at that point it was four, you know, you usually had a four foot set when you opened up into a grocery store and they would open up a new category. But, you know, now it's a 28 foot set. It drives billions of dollars a year in, in revenue for for uh, retailers. So it is one of the biggest um, categories. And they moved us from candy into our own little four foot set. And from there, we just built the category, new flavors. At one point, I think I had 24, 25 flavors, Oof. I think, then. and. Um, we had a huge block of space on the shelf. And then, you know, of course, competition came in. People kept coming in and trying to, you know, deliver on an on an oat-based product or an almond-based. And then Kine came from Australia. I remember looking at that brand at Expo West going, oh, this is really pretty food. And that it was really small at that time. I think they just sold for $3 billion. Cliff Bar just sold for $3.5 billion. Wow. So... When you think about, you know, an industry that can grow, uh, the world is your oyster. That's all I can say. Mm. Don't hold back. Mm. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that it's more important to be committed to something and to see it all the way through versus just going for that big payday. So you obviously stuck with Think for a very long time, for decades, and then relatively recently you did end up selling it. So what was the motivation for making the switch were you ready for a new challenge at that point did you just feel that you had more innovations to make in other categories yeah it's a good question it just was time you know i i i, I realized that people started to you know cheerios had protein in it right yes. <laughs> you know you 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 start to see people catching on and consumers understanding that they have to have protein and by the way anybody your daughter right at her age young anybody from one to a hundred should be eating protein so it's a it's a really incredible category and that's why i started this other business because of that because now we're bringing forth a new and improved protein that can feed the hungry mouths around the world and the growing population, save the animals so that they don't have to be under such stressed conditions and help the planet. Less water, you know? So, you know, I think I think as an entrepreneur, you you know when you're two feet in and you know when it's time to be two feet out. And for me, I knew that I wanted to build the business. I didn't know I was building a business, by the way. But as I went through it, I loved it. It was stressful. It was hard. You know, I I really am a workaholic to a certain point. I'm trying to balance that now. But to work 
And to know that you love what you do and you're bringing forth something that can change the way people think about food, it just drives you. You know, you wake up in the morning and you can't wait to get back to the next conversation or the next push. So I sold Think Thin because it was the right time. People understood that food um, that food was an absolute uh, necessary part of of their food with protein of their daily diet. And that's when I knew it was time to sell the brand. Mm. Makes perfect sense. What would you say are some of the lessons that you carried with you from the first massive business to the new endeavor? Anything that you did differently or that you had maybe more nuance around the thought process? Well, you know, my first business with Think Thin was a business that I built without knowing I was building it. I didn't know. I was doing it just because I was doing it. This business is a purposed, chosen decision. And I came out of retirement and, you know, I'm thinking, do I really want to do this again? It's not easy. And, you know, okay, so you might have a little bit of money and you might have, but it's, it's you, you got to roll your sleeves up and you've got to get in there and you work. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, what you have or how many people you know, it it's strategic. And um, I thought that Think Thin was going to be my legacy, but I do believe that if I could bring something forth on the planet that could be just like what Impossible Burger did, but for dairy, um, you know, I, I went out and I, and I brought in people, Bill Picard, who's was my VP of operations and innovation R&D at Think Thin, and he's my president here and he's brilliant and smart and he's incredible when it comes to innovation. And, you know, you bring in people now that you enjoy to work with. You know, I have a new asshole rule. Uh, I don't want to work with people that <laughs> don't want to work, right? I want people that are solid and and believe in the same legacy. And so we've built an incredible team and, and um, you know, the landscape of retail has changed. COVID has changed. Amazon came in and bought all the direct-to-consumer eyeballs. And, and now we've got to turn around with a recession around the corner that's, you know, the economy's not good and you can't print money for two years through COVID and think that you're not going to hit the wall. So the, the, the journey is going to be harder. That's for sure. But um, we're up for the challenge, and we believe that if we can bring a product with better than milk to the table that tastes as good as milk or better, we'll win the 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 war on dairy. And so that's our goal. Well, that's a fabulous mission, a fabulous goal. I think you're poised to do it. You're clearly the person to do it. Well, I, I appreciate that. Wish you boatloads of success. I'm very excited to try these products. I haven't yet, but I want to bring them in and try them, and we'll definitely post a review as we do. Um, but it's it's very exciting for me, and I love staying abreast of these new developments. It's kind of what I live for. I live for unearthing the people out there who are committed to solving the problems that are facing us all, and I think there's nothing more noble that somebody can do in general than to put it upon themselves to solve some of the problems that 
face us all, even if not all of us know that these problems are facing us, even if many of us are blissfully ignorant about the true state of affairs of the world and what's to come in the next 10, 20, 30 years. It's comforting to me to know that smart people like you are out there working on this and thinking about this so that it's not just one giant blind side <laughs> 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 75 years from now, whenever a lot of these other structures stop working. So Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And you keep up the good work with your podcast. It always helps to get the voice out there. I'd be happy to do that. And I want to uh, give you the closing remark here. So now that we're at the end of our discussion, if there's anything that you want to promote or direct people to, I would love it if you could uh, share whatever you like to wrap this episode up. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, all I can say is um, do some research. Go to betterlandfoods.com. We have uh, woobars.com and betterlandmilk.com and educate yourself on, on the opportunity to look at something that you can bring into your kitchen and really enjoy. And I would say that, you know, there is a food revolution going on. And one of the things I always say is, you know, you can, you can eat something and wonder why your tummy's upset, or you can eat something and wonder why you have the hiccups or you know, you just don't feel good. You have a headache. Sugar is not good for you. Gluten is glue. And protein is key to long life, keeping your muscles sturdy and strong. So, um, you know, you can always uh, look at my Instagram at Lizanne Falsetto. And um, I really appreciate the time that you gave me, Ross. Thank you. I really appreciate the time that you gave me. Thank you for your sharing your story deeply honored and humbled to have you here and so that's it folks that's the end of this podcast it's officially over 